0: Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's
1: Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office.
0: This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes.
1: Welcome to today's episode of the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Today we'll be beginning our discussion on autonomous vehicles, how this type of technology works, what its function is, and some of the legal issues related to the use of autonomous vehicles. Uh, As we dive into this topic, uh, with Zach and I discussing some of these issues and bringing in guests to discuss these issues later on in the series, uh, we'll cover a lot of the substantive issues and and really provide a comprehensive picture of the issues related to autonomous vehicles. But before we get into that, uh, when we're talking about this type of new technology it's very helpful, I find, to talk about how we got here. for For that, Zach, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the history of autonomous vehicles in the in the context of how these technologies came about, how they've been implemented in the past, and and really just how we got here?
0: Absolutely, and so. When we talk about autonomous vehicles, I th- I agree that I think it helps, uh, like we do with so many technologies, to examine where it came from. And so uh, one of the things that I think that I often talk about when I talk about autonomous vehicles is this concept or this idea that 2020 was the magical year that we were going to have autonomous vehicles and everybody was going to be driving around or at least that these would be readily available in the market. And I think most of us realized at this point that that's just not the case. And so one of the things that we do is realize we still have a ways to go until we have a fully functioning, fully autonomous vehicle. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the technologies that have made the vehicles approaching levels, higher levels of autonomy really are some some of the safety features that we've kind of come to know today. And so when we look back at just vehicle safety in general, we notice that it's been increasing at a substantial rate over the last 10 to 20 years. When you look back at the 1950s to the 2000s, we've got only a handful of substantial kind of safety features that we talk about, and that would be cruise control is one of them, right? And that was actually one of the first autonomous esque features. And so it allowed the car, obviously, for people who have driven a car with cruise control to maintain a constant rate of speed. Now we see we've got advanced safety features that were really developed and deployed in the 2000 to 2010 timeframe. And some of these included electronic stability control, blind spot detection forward collision warnings, and lane departure warnings. Then if you, you jump forward in time, you see that we've got in from 2010 to 2016, we've got what are commonly referred to as advanced driver assistance features. These things are, include rear view video systems, automatic emergency braking, pedestrian automatic emergency braking, Rear automatic emergency braking, rear cross traffic alerts, and lane centering assist. Now, as we kind of approach this time frame, we see that some of these technologies are then expanded and built upon. And then we've got the 2016 to 2025 time frame where we are approaching this, what we call partially automated safety features. Some of these are what we call level. 2 Automation, which I'll discuss in a little bit, um, or 2 Plus, right? And some of these systems are include Lane Keep Assist, the Adaptive Cruise Control, right, that will adjust the speed of your cruise control based upon vehicles in front of you or behind you, Traffic Jam Assist, which will essentially drive the car at low rates of speed, and self park right so it's got a limited kind of feature but the car will park itself in certain situations so that the driver doesn't need to control it and so you know that's kind of right now this 2016 to 2025 time frame is kind of the the partially automated safety features that were in the two the level 2 autonomy or 2 plus level autonomy which we'll kind of discuss in a little bit.
1: Zach, thank you for that. That, I think, gives us a picture um, of the development, and, and it sort of happens incrementally. Um, little by little, these features creep in, um, and I think people may not always realize that what we're creeping towards is uh, autonomous vehicles. When you talk about cruise control, which has obviously been around for a while, um, self-park, the sort of, crash alerts or detection or lane departure, um, that 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 is really the road to autonomous vehicles. So with that understanding of what technology is out there and and what kind of things we see, can you tell us a little bit about where we're at as far as um, the United States and its approach to allowing autonomous vehicles on the roadways here?
0: So it's kind of a that's kind of a tricky question, right, is because right now there are not a lot of federal mandates or statutes that relate to the governance of autonomous vehicle. Um, So what we call NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration, largely governs this area and, and kind of these issues. They, While they're working in this space and they're working to collect information and promulgate regulations, a lot of it is being left up to the states who are kind of governing it on a state-by-state basis. And so what we see is there are certain states like Arizona, California, Florida, and Nevada that are allowing fully autonomous vehicles without even a safety driver to circulate on public roads to kind of attract self-driving developers to those states. Now, and I think I kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, 2020 has now come and gone. We still don't have fully autonomous self-driving cars. Here in the United States, we have what is commonly referred to as 2-plus level driving systems as the top end of the features, We see that Honda in Japan has released a Level 3 autonomous vehicle, which is the highest level of autonomy currently commercially available. Um, But what we see is a lot of prediction from industry analysts who have talked about the autonomous vehicle technology and the predictions for the future. So some scholars are predicting that as soon as 2030, we're going to see – you know, high levels of autonomy, level four or level five, um, and we're going to start to see them coming in at a much higher rate. For example, the Boston Consulting Group has forecasted that more than one quarter of a, of the miles that Americans will travel by 2030 will be on electrified autonomous vehicles operated by some sort of ride-sharing service. And so, you've got an industry analyst there that that's kind of seen or predicted um, this rise of the autonomous
1: vehicles. So with that forecast for a rise in the use of autonomous vehicles, uh, what is the sort of driving force behind that trend? What are the benefits we can expect as a society from the adoption of uh, autonomous vehicles?
0: Yeah, so what we, what we have seen or what we have, they've predicted, right, is that there's going to be sus- like huge societal benefits to the use of autonomous vehicles. And so one example is that the, the self-driving vehicles will be able to provide transportation for people who otherwise are unable to drive because of age or some sort of physical impairment and so you think about who that might include right that it might include somebody who is older who has lost the uh, ability to drive or operate a motor vehicle safely that it could include somebody who because of some sort of physical impairment or disability was never able to operate a motor vehicle safely it could include you know people who are under the age of 16 or um who, who traditionally wouldn't be available for to have a driver's license to be able to trans, be transported safely um uh, without the need for an adult it, it could include you know a whole host of people who otherwise would not generally have access to you know a motor vehicle or, or mobility or transportation to be able to be transported or, or moved, for lack of a better term, in a way that um, helps to increase society in general. Right? It, it can place these people in the job market, you know, in, in, the, in the market just in general where they're able to more easily buy and sell goods and services and therefore kind of create a more productive society in general. It also has talked about how by increasing the mobility in these capacities, not only does it benefit the economy and, and individuals in general, but it also creates kind of a, a more um, a higher quality of life for these individuals because it allows them to be you know more uh, functioning members of society for longer periods of time. And So all of these are benefits that people have often kind of times talked about or touted. The one thing – the other thing that I think a lot of people have been talking about is whether it's going to be possible for some families to go from two-car households where, you know, you know, when you think of a traditional, you know, husband, wife or, you know, a, a married couple um, who have two and a half kids, you know, and a white picket fence and a dog, they have two cars in the driveway. And I think that model is also probably going to be looked at a little bit harder – because a lot of people have indicated that or predicted that those households you know are going to be potentially going down to one car where other kind of ride sharing autonomous vehicles or other mobility is going to be mobility services would be available so a lot of people have indicated that you know by by shifting to one car per family the average uh, savings could be in excess of four thousand dollars per family, and that's a a big number, right? And so, and you also have to think that that could be an average. So some families are going to experience that that experience that saving on a higher rate, while others would experience it on a lower rate. So that's another financial um, issue as it relates to the consumers that could potentially, you know, be savings. Um so these are kind of some of the societal benefits that people talk about um in the larger scope. Obviously another one is a safety feature, right? These vehicles that a lot of people have talked about have suggested that what we see is that there could be a whole host um you know of of safety features. The one of the big issues is the number of um, accidents, frankly, that happen in with traditional motor vehicles. The reality is, and statistically speaking, is you know human drivers are not necessarily as safe as we may think we are. Uh, I you know I oftentimes tout the statistic that seventy-five percent of drivers think they are above average and you don't have to be a statistician to know that that's just not possible right and so the reality is is that the there is a huge cost on our society that relates to accidents and so for example this is an older study but a, a NHTSA study showed that motor vehicle crashes in 2010 so you know this is 11 years ago cost 242 billion with a b in economic activity and that is a huge number it then that also including including 5 i'm sorry 57.6 billion in lost work pro, place productivity and then another 594 billion due to loss of life and decreased quality of life due to injuries so if we were able to reduce or, or eliminate someday this loss as it relates to these motor vehicle accidents, there is a potential huge economic upside just to preventing those accidents. Not to mention the fact that you don't actually have the pain and suffering these individuals are experiencing. And so I think that there is a lot of hope um, kind of in the marketplace as it relates to that technology.
1: Zach, that all sounds uh, very good and something that I, I think a lot of people would like to see come around sooner rather than later. But are there any downsides or drawbacks to the widespread adoption of autonomous vehicles?
0: Yeah, so one of the, I mean, I will say that there is a, a significant hesitance, at least traditionally, in kind of the marketplace of giving up control of the vehicle most drivers statistically speaking have indicated that they do not have an interest in relinquishing control and so there's a little bit of skepticism over the technology now with any new technology i think there's a little bit of you know good skepticism but i also think that to a certain extent Um, that number is also decreasing. Statistically speaking, it's gone down. A couple of years ago, it was at 83%, um, and those numbers continue to, which is a really high, and those numbers are continuing to come down in the subsequent years. One of the issues that I think is going to be looked at harder is, especially in urban areas, major cities, about the potential congestion issues on the roadways from increased use of autonomous vehicles. Now, one of the things that you know, we've oftentimes talked about and, and, and touted is – or have been touted with these vehicles is that autonomous vehicles will magically decrease congestion. And that was the same suggestion that, that was talked about with regards to ride-sharing companies, right? It would decrease congestion because it would remove my personal vehicle from the roadway and instead put a shared vehicle on the roadway. Now, in some studies that have been done, what they've found is actually that the congestion in some of the major metropolitan areas has actually increased because these these ride-sharing cars circulate on the roadways with or without a passenger and therefore actually increase the congestion. They also kind of found that people were more likely to use those vehicles and and those ride-shares than they would be prior to that, meaning that I'm more likely to take a ride now because they're just easier to get. And so there is some concern that with the implementation of more autonomous vehicles, that it actually will increase the congestion on, on many uh, urban areas.
1: This is certainly a very interesting topic, and it'll be interesting to see how those issues shake out in the future. That's going to conclude our discussion for today's episode of the podcast. Please be sure to join us next time, where we'll be continuing our conversation about autonomous vehicles, what they are, how they operate, and what we expect to see in the future.